G'day, I'm Troy. And I'm Brian. And we're the hosts of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, an ex-evangelical podcast. We used to be loyal members and leaders in Australian Christian megachurches, but we're not anymore. I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist is an honest and hilarious peek behind the curtain at the weird, the worrying, and sometimes traumatic world of evangelicals and Pentecostals. We share our stories, we interview prominent guests in the global ex-evangelical space and provide a platform for others to tell their stories about their time in evangelicalism and their journey out. Shortlisted at the recent Australian Podcast Awards, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist gives you a unique global perspective into one of the fastest growing religions in the world from the people who actually lived it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and IWasAteenageFundamentalist.com. Episode 100, 100 episodes of hate. This is Matthew, and to celebrate Still Unbelievable reaching 100 episodes over four years, Andrew and I have invited a couple of guests back to chat with us about why we do what we do, and to address the very specific accusation that we hate Christians. Hello everybody and welcome to the official, that's right, the official 100th episode of Still Unbelievable. Andrew, we made it! 100 shows! How do you feel? Uh, I'm not Be sure more excited, excited come on. You are. I'm not sure I'm <laughs> as excited as you are, but I'm not sure it's possible for me to be as excited as you are. No, this is great. Look, when we started this, 2018... I thought you were going to say 28 years ago then. <laughs> no, well, no, it doesn't feel that way. Um, when we started this, however long ago it was, it was hard for me to tell then whether we would stick with it, right? How do you judge the life of a podcast when you start one? Uh, I don't know, right? But I can say this. I can say this. I could not have had a better uh, podcast partner. And uh, I will stick with it to episode 200 from here. So oh, you, you, you good man, because look, we've got a target here. Justin Briley made it 17 years on Unbelievable. So that's our target. You are not bailing on me before then, or I'll come around to your house and I'll kill you. Oh. Actually, that will be the end of it then, won't it? I'll find <laughs> another punishment, I promise you. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll feed you cups here. of tea in the English style or something like that. I yeah, thought he almost said I, I couldn't find, have a better pastor. I thought that's what he almost said. He <laughs> <laughs> was clearly talking about David Johnson. That's who, oh that's who right, right. Yeah. So, do you know how? Do you know how old we're going to be at the end of that? What? Seventeen years of podcasting. Well, yeah, yeah. I haven't got enough hair for it to go grey, so I. <laughs> I don't no, know. no, I'm I'm bald headed as well. Uh, Seventeen years. Wow, that would uh. No, I'm not going to say how old that will make me. <laughs> I tell you what, we okay. better have monetized this because I'm going to need a pension payment at that age. Boy, isn't that true? Um, and and you know that'll uh, that'll get us both a beer about twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> yes, something like that. So, 100 episodes, right? We've got a couple of guests. Clinton, Darren, welcome to the show. The reason for me calling this 100 episodes of hate is because. I recently uh, had a conversation with somebody, somebody in real life, 
you know, I do occasionally have those. And he belongs to a church locally who's, I know, the pastor of the church. And he's listened to a few of our episodes and he's only listened to a few and he's given up because he's a Christian and he's given up because he felt the hate from the episodes that, that we do. He didn't feel any love from what we do. It was all hate and he didn't like it and he thinks that we're close-minded and hateful. So that Christian we've lost. So if you're a Christian and you've made it this far into the show, drop me a note and explain that to me, please. Why would a Christian feel hate from what we've got? And the weird thing about that, Andrew, is the next episode that's going to be out, it's recorded and done, it's in the can, episode 101, is you and I having a beautiful conversation with an older Christian. And what did he say to us, Andrew? He said, it took me several episodes to realise that you guys were atheists. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure which one is worse for us, that um, that he feels no love from our shows or that the, or that someone else can't tell we're atheist, which is which is the worst slander on our brand. I'm not sure. Pick your yeah. poison. We've obviously got some targeting problems here, haven't we? Right. So anyway, Darren and Clint. Clint, how are you, sir? It's been a while since we've uh, chatted. In fact, you are still the only host of a podcast that I've sat face to face with in a room and recorded a show together. That's true. That was one of the great days we had. Maybe it was a few years ago, wasn't it? You came, you were on your way down south, I think. You stopped in where I used to live in North Wales, and we did a podcast on my show, which is the Mind Shift podcast. So, yeah, that was really good. We need to get together again, Matthew. I would sure. love to do another show with you. It's been a while, but yeah, we'll need to work something out and uh, do another show together. It'll be good fun. Absolutely. I've got a book coming out in August. Nice. Uh, and it, it probably will tie into this because it's my story of how I was baptized three times as an wow. evangelical. And uh, I reflect back at the end about how I was treated as a pastor and uh, a Bible college teacher for 20 some years. So that will relate to what we're talking about as far as being treated shabbily by Christians. And Darren, welcome back. It's also been a while since we've had you on. I think it was way, way back when we we're doing the Alpha shows. Have you have we really not had you on to do a proper show since then? Well, we we have. We must have. Yeah, we we have. What was the uh, or maybe that was over on uh, Skeptics and Seekers. It, you know, we do enough of these shows, and there's enough cross branding that it's a little hard to. Uh, to keep track. Darren, when was the last time you were with us? You know, I don't actually remember. Our branding is getting worse and worse. That, that's bad. <laughs> we're terrible. He's a he's a most regular guest, and he can't even remember when he was last on. That is just bullshit. Maybe he blocked it out. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's terrible. I know it was so traumatic. You know, he had, he had to be chain gang to come back on again. There was too much hate on this show. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely what it was. Yeah, for those that are. And for those that are curious, I am an atheist. So if you can't tell. Oh, oh they'll be tell? able to tell. They'll be able to tell. <laughs> you're, in fact, you're the one who gets quoted back at us more often than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> am I the one that brings the hate? Yeah. It's, Maybe it's Darren's yeah. fault. Yeah, it's, it's Darren's fault. So it's not <laughs> me that hates everybody. It's it's Darren that hates, hates everyone. Okay, so let's get on to something. So first question of the evening and we'll we'll go round table why do we hate christians and christianity andrew as you're the co-host why do you hate christians and christianity oh boy 
so many ways to answer this question, right? Because I don't hate Christians. And it is probably fair to say that there are brands of Christianity that I loathe. You could say I hate them, I loathe them, I, I despise them. But really what all of that means in the context of the conversation in my own head is that I think there are a lot of brands of Christianity that simply are not good for the people around them. I don't think that the way conservative Christianity in the United States, for instance, is practiced, I don't think that that's a socially beneficial construct. So to that end, uh, yes, I, I hate that brand, that kind of Christianity. And if you are someone that stands behind that brand of, of Christianity, I guess in some in some cosmic oatmeal cookie sense, you might say that I I hate that person. But it's it's not part of my internal dialogue. Uh, I think that most people are uh, hmm, I'll use a Christian word redeemable. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so I, I don't uh, I don't think I hate Christians uh, no, or at least not any more than I would anyone else. Uh, but I definitely think that the way Christianity is practiced around me is a thing that I have a, uh, a, a deep disdain and, and probably socially a hatred for. Thanks. I'll come back to you on that. Darren, same question to you, sir. Why do you hate Christians and Christianity? Um, probably for the, a lot of the same reasons that Andrew does. Mostly I got into the, became an anti-theist when Christians started trying to legislate their religion into our laws. I have no interest in being a Christian. I have no interest in living under those laws, especially considering if you want to find people being the worst version of themselves just google religious freedom and that's will just come up as the worst people being the worst version of themselves uh to other people yeah and clint well i don't hate christians per se kind of like what andrew was saying however as an ex-evangelical myself okay i spent over 25 years as a as an elder of churches, a pastor, a Bible college teacher, I was all in myself. And when I first started deconstructing, it was all about, you know, my own theological worldview that what I, you know, my relationship with God, my relationship with the Bible, typical for most evangelicals when they start deconstructing their relationship with the church. And that was what I was focused on for a long time, probably 10 years or so. But now since I've studied cult psychology and things like that i i despise what christianity does to people in terms of religious trauma syndrome mm. rapture anxiety abuses of all kinds sexual abuse financial abuse i look at it more as from the cult psychology and cult tactics point of view i see what it can do and then like andrew says i've done a lot of stuff on the christian right in america dominion theology christian reconstructionism i've seen the damage that legislating morality christian morality has done in fact i was just reading an article on the intercept the other day they were talking about women in texas then they're struggling because you know women who have actually their their lives have been threatened by a uh, pregnancy that's that's you know the baby's going to be born dead they cannot get an abortion because of the law that christians crafted you know so this is the this is the downside to the whole thing so i hate what it's doing on a lot of levels but I, I wouldn't say i hate christianity or christians 
I kind of feel sorry for him, but I was one myself for decades. I feel like you stole my answer, Clint. That's my response as well. I don't hate Christians. I don't hate Christianity. I get fired up and vocal and excitable by the things that you've just mentioned, the horrors that I see perpetrated on other people by Christians and Christianity, both in the way they legislate a specific kind of morality that comes from a specific brand of Christianity onto people. And you've already mentioned uh, health and pregnancy, which is helping, which is devastating to some people across the world, especially in America at the moment, and also the way it impacts uh, other people on, on a small level on individual relationships with, with people. People who dare to question their Christianity often find themselves being being rejected by their loved ones. Marriages fail because people dare to have those conversations. Parents cut off their children or vice versa because they dare to have those kinds of conversations. That's what I hate, that effect that that it has on other people. I don't per se hate Christians or Christianity. I'm married to one, guys, remember? You know, it's, it's in my best interests not to hate Christians or to hate Christianity but I do get very fired up about the impact that it has on people especially at the thin edge of the wedge the trauma that Clint already made, made reference to that kind of thing that gets me going that makes me very very angry Andrew and I on the uh, email address for Reason Press Reason Press at gmail.com we occasionally get emails from people saying thank you for for your show i enjoyed this, uh, the podcast that you guys produce and occasionally we'll get people making reference points and occasionally we get emails from people who tell a little bit about their story and every single time i hear a little bit about somebody's story i have a reason to be cross i have a reason to get uptight i have a reason to get fired up and do podcasts like this because i see again and again and again the negative impact that certain brands of christianity have on people so in summary we all effectively affirm the same thing we don't hate christians and we don't hate christianity but there are elements that we dislike intensely and there are effects that the religion has on other people that we do hate and it's very problematic and that is why we do what we do so clint earlier on that you were alluding to some of your time as a pastor and uh, some of the things that so Surely before you started deconstructing yourself, when you were a pastor or working in that field, there must have been people who came to you questioning their faith. Did that have any impact on you? How did those conversations go? Well, yeah, I mean, I fielded loads of questions when I was a pastor and it was doubts and concerns and fears. But of course, I was in the position to allay those fears. And as a Bible college student, as a seminary student, I thought I was well positioned to answer those objections and questions and doubts. And so that was what I saw myself doing was kind of talking them off the ledge, as it were, making sure they were okay to continue on in their faith. And I had questions and doubts myself. So I would go to other pastors, elders, mentors, and ask them you know, similar questions, and they would talk me off the ledge as well. So I realized now I was questioning things. I was doubting things. But of course, I didn't quit. I kept going because uh, these, you know, good faithful Christians were talking me, you know, back into the fold, basically. So what things did you lean back on? Do you, when you look back at those kind of conversations now, do you ever have some kind of tinge about the methods that you might have used to try and keep those people in the fold? Well, I wouldn't have hoped, I hoped that I didn't use any sort of deceptive tactics. It was 
I try to answer any questions honestly. And I, if I couldn't answer it, I would say, look, I don't understand. I, I'm going to have to look into this. I'll come back to you. You know, I'd go do my research and try to answer their objections and questions. A lot of questions were about biblical interpretations, you know, alleged contradictions and flaws in the Bible, those kind of things. So I kind of saw myself as an apologist for the Christian faith. I used to study Josh McDowell and, you know, mm-hmm. Walter Martin, those kind of figures. I read all their books and I used to listen to the Bible Answer Men. So I kind of considered myself, I wouldn't say an expert, but, you know, people would come to me for questions with questions and I would hopefully answer them to the best of my ability, you know, so I hope, hopefully I wasn't, you know, BSing them. But um, as mm. I see it now, that's what I was doing. I was allaying their fears, but that's their authentic self kind of coming out and saying, Hey, I don't, I'm sure I'm not sure I believe this stuff, you know, and I was suppressing that in my own self. I see. And I think I need to just say here, Andrew appears to have had to drop off the call. It might be that he had a phone call to go and do a boat rescue. Listeners, I don't know how much you guys can remember, but Andrew has recently got involved in a boat rescue business. So it could be that he's had a call and he's had to drop off quickly. We'll have to see if he comes back. And while I'm on a diversion, listeners at the top of this show, hopefully you, if I got my editing right, you will have heard an intro to another podcast. Go and give that podcast a listen if you've not already been exposed to it. If you are a fellow podcaster in this space and you've got an intro or a little bit of a soundbite about your show, feel free to send it in reasonpress at gmail.com and I'll see what I can do about editing those kinds of things into this show. Right, so back to it now. So Darren, you're the only one out of the group of us who has never been a Christian, never been a believer. And you spend a fair bit of time here on our show. You spent a fair bit of time over on David's show over at Skeptics and Seekers. What is the interest of you in this space as somebody who is not an ex-Christian? What do you think you get out of all of this? And why are you in this space when you're not one of us? Well, my first degree was actually in anthropology, and it was focused on uh, religions throughout, basically the evolution of religion uh, throughout uh, recorded history. And my favorite uh, part of that was uh, the ancient religions, uh, Egypt, uh, the South American religions, uh, Greek and and uh, the Norwegian religions. Um, so that's how I first got into it. And then um, when I had access to all the libraries and everything, I was actually able to sort of put together a timeline of all the different religions and sort of how they sort of branched out to form each other uh, or to influence each other, how they started, that kind of thing. And then, of course, it wasn't until much later that I became an anti-theist when I started getting into politics and realizing the effect that um, the Christian right has on our laws. You used the interesting word there, uh, anti-theist, and so it was your exposure to the impact of Christianity on society that turned you that way, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Before that, it was mostly just a a mythology that people believed, and I didn't really care about it too much. Right. And now, because you see that there is active and actual harm going on, 
you now want to help make the world a better place. And part of making the world a better place is opposing some of those behaviors and actions. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I mean, it's already, you've, you've, uh, you and Clint already brought up a lot of it. Uh, women's health and uh, bodily autonomy and all that is probably the main stuff. And uh, now in America, the religious right has been able to put in a Supreme Court that has overturned basic human decency, you know, to uh, strip women of their rights and to uh, put in these draconian laws that do nothing more than hurt people. Uh, yes, and on the subject of that, a uh, quick plea out as well. I am still trying to put together a show where I can talk about abortion rights and abortion necessity. I've got some material that I want to put through, so I could, do, I do want to do my own solo show on it with some thoughts and cutting bits off. I also want to talk to somebody who's involved in that area who can talk with authority, ideally a woman, please. Uh, so. Please, listeners, if you are somebody or you know somebody who's got the the knowledge and the skills to talk to us about why that is important, please get in touch and we will do that as well. Uh, So interesting, though, what you say, uh, Darren, because you you used the word uh, anti-theist at that point. And I accept that onto myself as well. There are certain times and this is one of those times where I quite happily wear that label. There are elements of Christianity that I object to wholeheartedly. Only today I've been in a Facebook conversation with somebody about Christian attitudes towards those who deconstruct and the the gaslighting that happens of those who are questioning their faith by those who are still Christians. Okay, it's on the grand scheme of things. It's not as terrible as other kinds of things we're talking about, but it is still a negative contribution to people's well-being and mental health. And when that comes on top of loads of other things, the oppressive decisions and forcing people in and out of relationships and things like that, it's just all part of a package of bad behaviours that Christians do towards uh, others. So in that context, I very happily wear the label anti-theist myself. But when I look back at my journey and it'll be interesting Clint to see if you share this journey as well those early months after I first realized that I could no longer call myself a Christian I was still very much pro-Christianity in terms of society I very much felt that it on balance had a good for society even if I couldn't believe it scientifically and I probably would have called myself accommodationist then although that language that word just doesn't seem to exist anymore in the uh, in this kind of space so my position has shifted from being what was an ally towards christianity even though i was atheist to somebody who is definitely not an ally of christianity and and quite anti-christianity and anti-religion and it is purely because of what i see from the way that christians treat others clint have you got a journey like that since leaving christianity Yes, definitely. In fact, I've been working on a paper. I'm going to release it as a Patreon episode on my channel, and it's about reflecting on my career as an evangelist in Christianity. Not only was I an evangelist and did revivals and preached to taught and everything else, I was teaching at a Bible college for about eight years up in Liverpool and Leeds in this country, in the UK, where I live. And I've realized in writing this paper, the shift that came when I deconstructed was, like you said, Matthew, There was a time when I kind of was a a progressive Christian. I walked away from it, but I was still kind of, it had a foot in each world. But Mm -hmm. now I say to myself, wait a minute, 
I wouldn't want to try and recruit anyone into Christianity. And that was a big sort of a sea change for me when I realized it wasn't just that I disagreed with it theologically, biblically, or whatever it was. I would not want to try to talk somebody else into joining a church or becoming a Christian because of the way Christians treat each other and the way they treated me as both a layperson and a pastor and a Bible college teacher. So why would I want to talk anyone into be, you know, being part of that? So that that's a big shift, I think, in your process of deconstruction. Yeah, that's a really good point there. Uh, what I I didn't face that particular question myself, but yes, at some point in that journey, I would have thought about that question, gone, no, I don't want anyone to be a Christian. And I think once you answer that question with a no, then you've got to ask, well, well what do I think about the religion then? If I don't mm-hmm. want anybody to be one, what's the value of the religion to society at all? And it's got to be a net negative at that point. Exactly. I just watched that series, Shiny Happy People. I don't know if you've seen that on Amazon Prime. I've heard but, lots of words about it, but I've not got yeah, around to reading it's it. It's worth watching. But I was raised in that same, I would consider it a cult, a destructive cult, Bill Gothard Institute and Basic Life Principles. And that was what it was all about. The Duggar family in America, 19 kids and counting. And they were sort of like poster people for the IBLP cult. And they, God knows how many people they recruited into it. But the upshot of the, I think it's three episodes on the Shiny Happy People documentary, is how destructive and damaging the teachings have been historically and are still having effect on loads of people, not just in America, but around the world. And I was raised in that system. And I say, you know, like you said, why would I want anyone to be a part of that, knowing how destructive it is, knowing the religious trauma syndrome that I suffered from and still do suffer from? I had to get therapy for it and counseling Mm. to recover from what Christianity did to me. Why would I want anyone to be a part of that? Yeah. And take bringing it down much more personal level. When during my extreme doubts uh, while I was still deconstructing, I went through f- a lot of fear, and a lot of the fear that I had was my my own personal intimate relationship. You know, I didn't know how my wife was going to react because the Christianity that I was in had a distrust of people who were atheists. And when I, it was so long ago, 15 years ago was when I was going through all of this. So there wasn't a podcast community to talk about that, but there was a blogging community. So I plugged into a small community of WordPress bloggers and we we were talking about our experience together and deconstructing together and reading and commenting on each other's blog posts. And it was was a great time, inverted commas, of just supporting each other. But every single one of them, I think except for one, because they deconstructed at the same time, had a marriage failure uh, as a result. The attrition of marriages where one partner deconstructs and the other one doesn't was practically 100 percent. It was terrible. So I had stack loads of fear. And that was my Christianity that gave me that fear. And it was horrible. It meant that I hid that journey from my wife. I was too afraid to have the rational conversation. I was too afraid to have the honest conversation because I was afraid of the consequences. And as it turns out, I made it worse because it got to the end and I didn't tell her until it was a done deal. And I robbed her of the opportunity to have those conversations while I was going on. 
because by the time she knew it was all over she couldn't have the conversation with me about what about this aspect of christianity what about that aspect of christianity could you accept god as that but not as this she couldn't have any of those conversations with me because i'd already done them in private and i'd come to my conclusion and so that so it was a it was a bad thing and it was purely fear based on the christianity that i was uh, exiting and that was a really bad thing for me it was really depressing for me and it put me through a bad place in the deconstruction places in the deconstruction groups on facebook that i'm part of there are people coming out with very similar things the christianity that they're deconstructing has given them so much fear about atheism you literally get people saying is god going to strike me dead kind of question and i remember having exactly that same problematic question myself there is so much fear wedded into elements of christianity that people don't realize are there until they start genuinely doubting the existence of god and then these issues that have been under the surface of christianity never a concern while they're a believer suddenly come rocketing to the front and they have no answers and they have these kinds of uh, existential doubts about reality because of the religion that they were part of can you identify with any of that clint oh yes definitely and i've mentioned earlier the cult psychology aspect of it that's what really opened up a whole new vistas of kind of investigation for me everything you just said matthew you could take that and say you're describing someone who's coming out of scientology or mm. fundamentalist latter-day saints or the nation of islam or you know moonies any other religion any other cult people describe the exact same things you've gone through you might substitute a few different words in there but it's the exact same process of deconstructing your belief system and leaving the group because you'll oftentimes experience shunning by members who are still in the group and you'll you'll be cut off from you know fellowship and community and all the rest of it that's very common within cults as well as christianity so to me the experiences are a lot more universal when you start to look at it from a cult psychology point of view those doubts those fears those questions are being asked by everyone who's in a cult <laughs> you know just it doesn't have to be christianity and that's what made that opened my eyes to the reality that wait a minute we have to when we're talking about reconstructing on the back end after we come out what we have to do is start looking at how people who come out of cults how do they rebuild their lives because our experiences are eerily similar to those people who either get booted out or leave a cult and get shunned it's interesting you say that so let's take that and run with it for a bit straightforward question is christianity a cult no because it's too it's not a universal monolith however there are many many aspects of it that are cult-ish so if you've ever read that book by amanda montel it's called cultish and that's I've basically, heard of it, but it's not very really good. heard of it, yeah. Yeah, her argument essentially in the book is that there are many, many groups that are not cults, in air quotes, as it were, but yet they are cult-ish. In other words, the practices, the psychology, the tactics that are used within groups like that do the same kinds of damage to their followers. It could be anything from a group of Peloton cyclists who revere one of the one of the figures who's leading the session and they kind of become a guru and a cult like figure and they it kind of becomes cult ish and so i look at it and say okay on a spectrum there are certain churches that are absolutely cults there are some churches that are cult ish and so some churches are more destructive and damaging than others 
but on on almost every level you can pick out certain aspects of cult psychology and cult tactics within almost any church thank you for that darren do you have a, a similar opinion different opinion on that question i have a hard time distinguishing between a religion and a cult just because as far as i can tell they all use the same methods it's just a matter of degree of control so i guess if you if you have a definition of cult that includes degree of control then we could probably figure out the difference between a normal religion and a cult but from looking at the outside they all look the same to me I think that's probably the line which I would fall on. I, I see what Clint is saying because Christianity is very, very different. Now, British Christianity is different to American Christianity. And then you've got all the different uh, denominations uh, within Christianity. Notice the word denomination, not the word sect. Uh, but I think I would probably go a little bit stronger than your answer, Clint. And I would think I would probably go so far as say, Christianity is a group of cults together under the same umbrella. Maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on Christianity. You know the email address, folks. If I am being too harsh, please let me know. But that's probably the line that I would take. Yes, there are certainly some which are softer, but there are definitely denominations within Christianity which I think meet all of the key markers for being a cult. And if you've heard Andrew's episode when he was on the Graceful Atheist podcast, which was way back in 2019, I think, Andrew opens up his episode by saying, I was in a cult. He comes straight out and says it. That's a brand of Christianity that he was in. So, Clint, do you agree with me that Christianity should just be called a, a bundle of cults under an umbrella or am I being too strong? Well, I think we, we're saying a lot of the same things, maybe just slightly different language, because I said there are some churches that are absolutely cults. It's a, I think of it as a spectrum, a continuum. It's, it's about influence and destructive tactics and what they, the effect they have on their followers. So, yeah, yeah I agree that the, the bottom line is I would say no matter what you call it, when you come out of it on the back end, the recovery is the same as what happens when a person comes out of a destructive cult. So, draw your conclusions from that what you will i look at it myself so i was raised in the bill gothard i call it a cult that's absolutely a cult so my recovery looks almost exactly the same as my friend chris shelton who's an ex-scientologist now on paper that shouldn't be the case but in reality the experiences that both chris and i had he in scientology me in fundamentalist christianity were virtually identical so does that make my experience a cult and his not no we were both raised in a cult-like environment and we have to recover from that perspective, knowing that we have the same kind of experiences in these controlling groups. Yeah, that's the interesting point. When I look back at uh, my last 10 years as a Christian, in fact, most of my adult Christian life, actually, yeah, I was part of probably to most uh, cases a fairly liberal church in, in the UK or progressive church, if you want to use uh, modern language. And I was never in really strong evangelical church. Yeah, there were a couple of churches I was in where there were services for healing and services were speaking on tongues. But at no point was the the minister revered to the point where we felt that it, we couldn't leave the church. There was always a freedom that we could move on to another church if we wanted to. And there were a couple of times when we did, and sometimes we would wake up and go, 
you know what it was a heavy night the night before we're at a party don't feel like going to church today and we didn't so there was that freedom so we weren't in a cult in that sense that we weren't tied to a specific church or a specific individual but having said all of that my exit from christianity was painful my uh, process of unpicking those beliefs was long and arduous and i did have periods of really low uh, emotion because of what it did to me emotionally and so it was really really difficult and the process of reconstructing uh, confidence in in my own self and uh, deconstructing the uh, nonsense beliefs that I had was really really hard work you know, that's why I say it took me about three years to go through that process so in that respect my exit although I didn't need any kind of uh, intervention from people, my exit was really hard and that probably makes it cult-ish. Moving on, any other experiences or that you want to bring into this, Clint? Well, I was going to say before we were talking earlier about the effects of religion, it doesn't have to be just Christianity. It, I read the book a couple of years ago, God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens, and mm. I'd, re- I'd resisted reading that a long time because I thought, oh, I'm not going to go down the, the atheist book route, you know, but Someone recommended it, and I listened to it on Audible, actually, and what struck me about it was basically his thesis is that religion poisons everything, yeah. and he goes through example after example, exhaustive examples, hundreds, maybe, I don't know, over a thousand examples of how religion poisons everything worldwide, and he you can, he can just demonstrate over and over and over again the damage that religion has done to people and to societies, to communities, to countries, to you know, in, in terms of belief systems and all that. And I, I finished the book and I thought, you know what, I would lump Christianity in with that because a lot of his examples are obviously from Christianity and what they've done in terms of holding back laws and holding back progressive society and so forth. And I thought, my God, I mean, yeah, religion and Christianity can do tremendous damage. Yeah. Yes, and we bring this up in the conversation that uh, Andrew and I had with uh, Bart Ehrman only a couple of episodes ago when talking about some of the uh, major social issues that we have to face and the negative impact that uh, Christianity has on that. And specifically, I'm thinking about climate change here and the the things that feed into climate change, you know, the, some of the sources of human activity that feed into that climate change. And I'm just going to give you one very specific example, but it's not just one individual. This is sweeping throughout the whole of Christianity. And I recognise that same sentiment in myself when I, when I saw it. So this is a tweet from a Christian called Joel Settercase. And I mentioned his name because I featured him in a podcast a few episodes ago where i did a solo show and i picked apart a christian podcast episode it was a podcast episode by joel settercase and the reason why i picked him up was he he said that climate change won't become a problem for no no it wasn't sorry wasn't climate change let me correct myself there it was about feeding people he says the world will never run out of food it'll always be able to feed the entire population because as is needed god will provide humanity with the resources and the technology in order to be able to provide more food and i read that and i think wow you know how i struggle with the words to respond to that kind of thing it's that kind of fatalistic attitude towards the way god is going to treat the world exactly it's it's unbelievable but it's it's it strikes me about the same kind of mentality that says hey you know when you're coming out of high school you don't need to go to college or university or get a career because jesus is coming back soon 
So why worry about it? Why bother? And then 20, 30 years later, you're, you're looking back thinking, wait a minute, where's my life gone? You know, that same kind of just simplistic, naive faith in in God. Meanwhile, that's doing actual damage to people. Yeah. And it sort of ignores the facts of reality, too. We've got, what, 9 billion people on the earth? And there's, what, like 900 million starving people? Mm. You know, that's almost like one – that's almost one-ninth of the – people that are starving so does the fact that he makes this prediction that god will provide and 900 million examples of it not prove that god doesn't exist i mean does that work yeah we have the resources to feed the planet right now we're selfishly hoarding them you know in the west here and we're, we're not we don't care about the starving children in poor under underdeveloped quote-unquote countries you know so the truth is we could be doing a hell of a lot more to solve this problem right now why do we need god you know to miraculously provide food for us so imagine having the faith that god will do that but then trying to excuse the all those starving people on humans and not blaming god for it yeah that we have right now which we could be doing something about yeah Yeah. and and how's that is that god's fault that he's not feeding them and they're dying now i don't understand the logic yeah, and it's why the same mentality. Yes, exactly. And this same mentality is why we see uh, resistance to activity for climate change. It's why we see denial of the polluting effect of all our fossil fuel burning and what it does to the climate and our, our environment. Because God won't let it get that bad. Therefore, it's fine to behave selfishly and just kick <laughs> yeah. out pollutants. I mean. Well, yeah. I think- or I Jesus is coming that, back before it becomes a problem. I think it really goes down to the the primary harm that religions do to humanity. Is it yeah. cripples our ability to think critically about any one subject because it teaches you to just accept whatever the person in charge tells you rather than trying to think about it yourself. And when you have that kind of when you're trained to think like that, then if someone tells you that climate change is not a big deal, well, then who cares about the evidence? Climate change is no big deal. Yeah. 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 I remember confidently saying in my 20s, and this taps into exactly the same thing, we had a conversation about world peace, and I very confidently said, oh, there'll never be a World War Three because the weapons that we've now got in humanity are so terrible that we could literally destroy the world if we set off a few nukes and God wouldn't let the world be destroyed. So we're fine. And you believe? And I believed it. Yeah. I bought into that. We all did. Well, even though there was the end of days prophecy in the Bible, the revelation or whatever it's called. Oh, don't try and get me to justify that <laughs> belief. I had it. Come on. Right. Stop hating me. Stop hating me. I'm feeling the hate right now. <laughs> and it's directed toward you, Matthew. <laughs> Not even directed toward Christian. <laughs> well, it was Christian me. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, yeah. right. It was okay because you were a Christian yeah. back then. Yeah, I I can't square that, Darren. Don't ask me trick questions like that. Yeah, but, but wait a minute. It, it goes back into cult psychology, I would say, because yeah. a lot of that you know, you talk about like loaded language, you know, yeah. Christianese, Christianese is loaded language. And that's a marker of cult tactics and psychology where yeah. it, like Darren said, it shuts down your critical thinking. So you just start spouting Christianese phrases and that actually stops you from thinking critically. Oh, God is in control. 
well, that's a Christianese loaded language. It's not true, mm. and it's it's demonstrably false, but yet it makes you think that things are okay. Yeah, and I think we can demonstrably show that Christians don't actually believe this, because if they yeah. truly believe this, that God was in control and that his will would prevail, they wouldn't vote in the elections. Yeah, this God's in control, so the right candidate will get elected regardless. Yeah. So why vote? Why do anything? I, I so wish they wouldn't. Go on. Don't vote, Christians. Prove it. Prove, you, prove yeah. yourself right. Don't vote Especially en masse. in America, because they'll yeah. vote for Trump, basically. 81% <laughs> of them are voting Trump anyway. Yeah. Go on. Let, let, let's see him get in with zero votes. Go on. Prove it. Prove it to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, the election was rigged and stolen anyway, so it's not going to matter. That's going to be their argument anyway. I mean, talk about cognitive dissonance when during the 2020 election, I did a whole bunch of episodes on the failed Trump prophecies, which I was fascinated by. And that's the same kind of thing where these Christian so-called prophets had confidently predicted that Trump was going to beat Joe Biden in a landslide. And then when he didn't, their response was, well, he did win. So we were correct. God told us the truth. Our prophecies were correct. It's just that he it was stolen from him. So therefore, it was illegitimate. You know, so you, it's like cognitive dissonance. You can't win. They double down anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, I always wonder about that. If God is so powerful, how can he be thwarted so easily? So easily? <laughs> the system of the you know, satanic, antichrist, dark swamp powers and all that. It's a cosmic battle, Matthew. Don't you know? The culture wars and all that. Well, then Spiritual I think we warfare. need to get we need, we obviously need to get behind the stronger candidate, and it's clearly yeah. not God. That's right. Well, don't uh, blame me. I've been called the devil and demon and everything else. So maybe you're I'm the, the devil, and, apparently. Oh, there we go. He's been hiding there all along. You know, all along. I knew that's why he had his camera turned off. <laughs> hey, I didn't want to give myself away by showing you my horns. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere. Must be. So, so Clint, you hinted earlier about some of your experiences that might uh, tap into this. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring into this conversation from those experiences? Well, what when I was a pastor and an elder and all yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I would say looking back on it, I walked out of that church. We actually closed our church down. It was in the Portland, Oregon area back in 2005, just before we moved here to the UK. So I could, I was doing my doctorate over here in the UK and man, that, that experience was horrific, traumatizing and all the rest of it. But I walked out of there. I didn't want to have anything to do with Christians really anymore, but I firmly believed in the church. So I spent a lot of years like trying to rehabilitate the church. So, you know, looking back on it now, I think, my God, I was treated absolutely horribly. I was blamed for everything that went wrong by these Christians. They were gossiping about me, lying about me, believing the worst about me when I'd done nothing but selflessly serve for 12 years as an elder and a pastor. And I think, man, what, what more could I have done to prove that I was a good person and I was doing everything I could do to help the church grow and everything else? And I mean, I look back on it now, I think, my God, that was horrific. That was terribly traumatic. And these were supposedly my good, loving fellow Christians that I'd been in this church with for 12, 13 years. And they absolutely turned on me and tried to stab me in the back, you know? So that was a really embittering kind of experience. I've, I've processed it now and gone through therapy, but it took a lot of years to recover from that. Yeah, that must have been uh, really difficult, Clint. Thank you uh, for sharing that. I've been in a couple of churches where 
large numbers of the congregation have taken umbrage and, and moved on. And it, it is it is very painful and it's very painful for the pastor of a church in, in that situation. And I remember being in there never as one of the people leaving, thinking, wow, this is so unloving. And I've also been in a church where I've wanted to leave the church. In fact, I, I left the church that we were in before I actually started uh, deconstructing because I found, had some issues with the pastor there. And it's probably hard on both parties. Both people probably get hurt by something like that. There's definitely something unloving uh, about that. Lots of egos. And we're getting back to the cult-like and cultish behaviour that we were talking about before. Andrew, is everything okay, sir? Is there something you want to contribute to the conversation? Well, I'm glad to be back. I'm sorry that uh, I'm sorry that, that took as long as it did. It was a business call. There was just no way to get I, I, I did wonder. I wondered yeah. if you'd be, you're not calling me from the middle of a lake already, are you? Uh, no, uh, though it was a, so this was a financial call, which is almost as bad as being in the middle of a lake. <laughs> but, uh, so no, everything, everything's great. Um, what was the last question? So we were talking a little bit. We've we've just come off a segment talking about uh, cults and how Christianity can be cult-like and cultish. And I made reference uh, earlier to in your episode on the graceful atheist, you said that your brand of Christianity was definitely a cult. So I just wonder if there's anything from that that you want to feed into the wider conversation of is Christianity a cult and how should we think of it and how does that make us feel towards it? Mm. You know, I don't know about Christianity around the world, but certainly in the United States, it seems more and more every day that uh, Christianity is mutating uh, and, and becoming more and more cult-like, even even on the uh, more liberal edges uh, of, of U.S. Christianity. And I was uh, reading some articles uh, just this week, actually, about the Christian right and how politics has caused U.S. Christianity to, to mutate. Uh, we have this, this bicameral system, right? We, we only have Republicans and Democrats, this two-party system. And the divide between the conservative right and liberal left is is so deep now that uh, that the major news outlets uh, researchers and and even the average citizen in target or, or whatever so asking themselves can we ever come back together well part of the problem and the reason that the question is important is that not only do we have different values but the way of thinking between the two different groups is is so different. Right? Um, so so do we value uh, fact-based education? Do do we care about science? Do we care about research? Do we care about progress? Do we do we care about medicine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it seems half the country does, and the other half of the country. Uh, is is stuck in a place where they distrust uh, all of the institutions that that seem to provide for our progress, 
we distrust public education, so the number of homeschool organizations is growing. Uh, we distrust modern medicine, and and in fact, the average lifespan in the U.S. is on the decline. So, is Christianity a cult? Well, they are certainly using the tools of reason that cults use. So, without uh, without ending up in a place where uh, we sound like we hate. Right. <laughs> this level of of uh, cynicism and distrust in politics is the same level of cynicism and distrust and isolation that we see in cults. And in the United States right now, there's a, there's a terribly incestuous relationship between conservative Christianity and conservative politics. And this is all about how we reason about the world around us. I was at the park with my little girl uh, just over the weekend. And she'd met a new, a new friend like you do at the park. And I was talking to, the, uh, to her new friend's mom. And we were talking about school because both of our children are four. And so I said, well, you know, uh, is, is your little girl off to, to kindergarten uh, in a few months? And she said, uh, she said, no, I think every parent, I'm quoting her here, I think every parent is uniquely qualified to educate their own child. Wow. But the thing is, that's not the first time I've heard that. I hear it over and over. Uh, it, it, that one's fresh in my mind, right? But the number of children being homeschooled in the United States is on the rise because of distrust of, of public education. And there are, oh, at least three new church schools that have started here in the last year. I am, I am terribly concerned about the trajectory of Christianity and and its relationship with U.S. politics. And I think David Johnson, he, David says, all of Christianity is a cult. Well, I don't know all of Christianity, but I'm pretty tempted to just jump in with both feet and agree, right? It, it's, it's certainly not a social good. Okay, that's enough of me monologuing. Um, is it a cult? I'm tempted to just say yes. I would say just to, to put it out there that like we talked about before, you can plug in any number of models of cults into your typical church or group and they will come out hitting all the markers. I was thinking when Andrew was talking about Stephen Hassan's BITE model, if people aren't familiar with that, that's a, an acronym B-I-T-E stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. And that is a, those are four markers that typically cult groups use to control their members or cult leaders use. But you could apply those to most Christian churches. I could apply that to my own life growing up. I wasn't homeschooled, but I was raised in a very fundamentalist home in a small Christian school in the Seattle, Washington area. I went to a Christian high school. I was in the bubble. And every one of those tactics was used on me. 
So does that make my experience cult-like? I would say absolutely yes. Was was I in a cult? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, like I said before, the recovery ang- aspect that I've had coming out of it is the same as someone coming out of any destructive cult. Thinking things through, I've been, I've called this ep- this uh, episode 100 episodes of hate. So let's turn it around a little bit. Let's uh, give a Chris- any Christians who be who may have got this far through the episode and uh, and not burnt us. What can we do to change that? What message do we want to give to Christians to calm the temperature down a little bit? What can we say to Christians to to get them to encourage them to engage with us, and we can cool down the rhetoric uh, a little bit and work together, hopefully, towards something that's better? I would say, from my point of view, it's a difficult one because anytime you challenge or be or seen as threatening what someone's belief system is. That's very emotionally threatening. No matter what you're talking about, like any cult member or a church uh, member, mm. you are questioning their their whole worldview, basically their identity. Everything's wrapped up in that. So it is very difficult. I would say when I was an evangelical, I would have been very threatened to talk to an atheist. I would have tried to evangelize them and talk mm. them back around. You know, so it's going to be difficult, I think, for the, your typical Christian anytime their beliefs are are challenged or questioned or confronted. So we have to be respectful, I think, in that sense to, you know, sort of have that conversation. We can have a respectful dialogue. I've talked to loads of Christians, but yet we, we're not screaming and arguing. So you have to be careful, I think, on both sides. So there are people that you can agree with because the ideas that are being presented are things you can agree on. If we're talking about the rising rate of gun violence in the United States, and we're in a place where we want to say, can we find sensible solutions to this problem? So that's the table stakes for the conversation. Well, it, it's easy to talk about that in a friendly and open, approachable way. If you approach me with the, the notion that my ethics have no foundation, that my politics are the, the kind of thing where I want to uh, indoctrinate children into uh, sexual misconduct, these are not things where it's easy to find some ground to have a an easy conversation right and and by the way the indoctrinating children into sexual misconduct i'm talking about the the christian rights view on the lgbtqia2 community right um the the very notion that uh, we have uh, a group of people who are somehow spiritually broken or they don't know who they are uh, you know they, they're uh, they're worthy of distrust, or or all of those people are abusing children. But look, everything that I've just said is a view from the Christian right in the United States about the LGBTQIA community. So, how do you have an easy conversation with someone who sees ten uh, percent of the population or more? As, as not only broken, but but vile, right? I'm not sure my, my point here is. I'm not always sure that we can or that we should. Yeah, that is a challenge I would want to put out as well. And I, because I say this occasionally, you know, when you've got a religion which sees everybody who's not part of that religion as is broken or defunct or to a greater or lesser degree that immediately creates a problem and 
I've said it before, that's the rotten core of Christianity. And so to go back to my question, how do we cool the temperature down a bit? I would like Christians to think about that particular point and think about how their language can be chilled a little bit so that when they're talking about me, they're not talking about me as broken. They're not talking about me as defunct. They, they talk about me as an equal human, and I am very capable of talking back as an equal human. So that would be my challenge to Christians. Let's take out that language as a first step, and we can cool things down, and we can move on to have a kind of dialogue. I am very happy to have a dialogue with any Christian. You know our email address, reasonpress at gmail.com. Let's trial something out. Let's have a dialogue. Sometimes we have a dialogue that's a little bit uncomfortable, but I've also had some really good dialogues with some genuinely pleasant Christians on this show. Andrew and I have had quite a lot of them. You know, Jonathan McClatchy being just one of them. The next episode after this one, 101, is Andrew and I having a conversation with just that kind of Christian who reached out to us and said, can we have a conversation? So we can do that. My one of my favourite Christian podcasts at the moment is called Ravel, as in Unravel, but they call it Ravel. Lovely Christian podcast with three hosts on it, and they talk about all sorts of issues with grace and compassion constantly. I really enjoy the way that they interact on their podcast, and I've reached out to them, and I'm hoping to have a conversation with one of them with some really interesting news to have later this week and that will probably be episode 103 of still unbelievable so there you go that's what you've got to listen to that's my plug for for the future but there you have you have christians who are graceful and uh, full of compassion and christians who do not give out any of the hateful vibes of christianity that we've been talking about previously anybody else want to fill out that question of how we have constructive conversations with Christians. Well, I would just say, I know Darren's probably got something to say on it, but it reminds me of what happened in my family. And that is, you know, my oldest sister, she's quite the fundamentalist Christian. It's really difficult when, as you say, Matthew, your basic presupposition is everyone is lost and burning. They're going to go to hell and they're going to spend an eternity in hell unless they believe the gospel. Mm. And so you have that original sin doctrine and so what she did, she spent years with a vicious letter writing campaign to her husband's family who were not Christians and basically alienated the whole family and turned them all off because she was so convinced that what she had to say was the truth and they needed to hear it. you know. And so in the end, all her hateful rhetoric ended up alienating that whole side of the family. you know. And you think, how do you have a discussion with someone like that who's so fundamentalist and entrenched in their dogma? And then they view us ex-evangelicals and ex-Christians as some kind of intellectual virus, some contagion yeah. that they're afraid of. And they think, you know, and we, we get accused of all sorts of things. You know, we were never Christians to begin with and on and on it goes. We just want to sin and that's what we just want to license to sin. You know, that's why we that's why we left the church. You know, so how do you have a respectful conversation? Kind of like Andrew was saying, I don't know if it's entirely possible to do so. Right. I mean, so so there are people that we can have dialogue with. Matthew, I think that was your word, and, that, and it, it struck a chord with me because uh, dialogue is something that both sides have to have to engage in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as you engage in, in reasonable, meaningful dialogue, you sort of learn 
what rules are important to the other person in dialogue, right? Uh, are we are we friends and we can sort of interrupt each other and the conversation can uh, uh, can just flow into all the corners, right? Is, is this person someone that really needs time to think? And so we we stop and we we have a moment of conversation and we come back to it later. I've got a friend like that where you know we've got a we've got a long series of meaningful dialogue, but it has been years, right? We've we've been developing this dialogue over years. The point is that both people or or all the people sometimes you dialogue with more than one person. Every person has to think that the dialogue itself is important. Mm. And if you're engaging with someone who simply can't hear you, or maybe you're just not the right person, right? Maybe on another day, or maybe another person like you with a different hair color, whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, both sides have to agree that the dialogue's important. And sometimes you're just not the right person for that person. Mm-hmm. My experience is it's really hard to have a meaningful, meaningful dialogue with a Christian, mostly because if all you want to do, if all you want to do is hear what they have to say, then that's usually not a problem. But as soon as you start questioning consistency, logic, ask them to show that what they're claiming is true, all of a sudden you become the devil. Mm. And I'm not sure, I've never been able to figure out how to get past that. Because I want to have more than just a dialogue about what they believe. I want to know how the universe actually works. And hearing their fan fiction of their favorite god is not particularly interesting to me. So I always want to move beyond that. And I found that trying to move beyond that is almost impossible. You have been, I, I was chuckling, it may have come across on the mic when you were talking about the devil and what, you have actually been in some pretty spectacular online conversations where you've, you've been accused of, of oh man, the, the number of vile things that you have been called and accused of uh, have been a little shocking to me. And so obviously there are two or three people that I'm referring to. I'm not going to mention them by name. I often wondered why you kept going, right? Because the the two or three that I have in mind, uh, you were never going to reach. Now, I do know why you kept going, because it was a public square, right? We're, when we write online, we're not always writing just to the person that we're in direct dialogue with. All of that to say that I agree with your observation about Christianity, at least, uh, to the extent that I share the experiences that you have shared, uh, you certainly have been uh, castigated for questioning Christian reason. It has been an interesting thing to watch. So Christians, you know, part, if you've heard this right from this episode, the reason why you might think that we hate you is because we're responding negatively to things that you were doing. We're responding negative to the things that you say. We're responding negatively to the way that you treat us and other people. So when you're hearing us and if you think that what we're doing is we're being hateful to you, take a step back. 
think of the motivations behind what it is that we're saying. What is it that's causing us to say nasty and unpleasant things about Christians, about you, about your fellow Christians? Why would we say those things? What have we witnessed? What have we experienced? What have we seen? What, what, what have we observed? What have you done to us that makes us say those things about you? If you can reach that, then maybe you're getting to the nub of why this podcast exists. Maybe you're getting to the nub of why Clint's podcast exists. Maybe you're getting to the nub of why David Skeptics and Seekers podcast exists and his Red Letters podcast. Maybe you're getting to the nub of why somebody who's never been a Christian like Darren takes time to come on to a podcast like this and talk about Christianity, something he's never really had a strong interest in. Just think about that. Take a step back. We're not saying those things because we're awful people and we just want to say awful things. We only say those things because something has motivated us to say those things. Just think about what that motivation might do. And if you can get to there, then maybe we can have a dialogue. Maybe we can have a conversation. Reasonpress at gmail.com. We can have that conversation if it doesn't turn into a conversation and we ex- exchange a few emails and realize that we can't have one. And at least we've tried and we've had to go and we've exchanged a few ideas. I've exchanged emails with Christians which have tried to go somewhere, but not really gone anywhere. But at least we've both tried, even if we haven't had a face to face conversation as a result of it. We can get a little bit somewhere and a little bit somewhere exchanges a little bit of understanding and if you can get the point that our primary motivation is we don't like what you do and the reason why we don't like it is because we can see how it negatively impacts other people we mentioned climate change we mentioned feeding the world as well in this episode we can see the very real impact that some of the things you oppose and you action have very real negative consequences on other people so we speak out because we care We care about other people and we love our fellow man, those who don't necessarily hold to the same ideals as us, those who don't even necessarily live in the same town, village, city or country as us. But we care nonetheless because we see the negative impacts. Maybe that's somewhere where you can join with us. And if we can have that as a common core, maybe we can talk with a little bit of maturity and a little bit of sensitivity about how we can all work together to make this world a better place because really isn't that what we all want to do Mm, well said thank you guys and in that case until next time be reasonable you have been listening to a podcast from reason press do you have any thoughts on what you've just heard do you have a topic that you would like us to cover please send all feedback to reasonpressnet at gmail.com. You might even appear on an episode. Our theme music was written for us by Holly. To hear more of her music, see the links in our show notes.